and in the midst of our darkest hour of uncertainty and fear, the Lord, he sustained us day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. And all that scripture that I had spent months of memorizing during my, what we can lovingly call now, my Great Depression, all of that scripture that I had memorized was written in my heart as I sat and took care of Avery while she laid in that hospital bed with all of the tubes and cords and beeping and the monitors when I couldn't open my Bible. I had that scripture on a repetitive loop in my mind. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast hosts. Today, we are bringing you a story from one of our brand new communities, Homewood, Alabama, which is a suburb of Birmingham. (laughs) And I was actually able to attend this one live. And the story of Mackenzie sharing, first of all, is incredible. The Homewood team was put together, and one of the girls on the Homewood team, Sarah, is neighbors with Mackenzie. And so they knew very early on they wanted her to share, but did not feel like she was ready to share her story yet. It was it was pretty recent. And so they just prayed. And they said, Lord, we're going to ask her and just see what she says. And it may be a year. You know, it may be a while. Hopefully one day she'll be willing to share. And so they did ask Mackenzie. She did say, no way. <laughs> And then very quickly, the Lord told her, no, it's time. And so you're going to hear in her story, there may be some raw emotion, but it was time. Well, I, for one, am so glad that God led Mackenzie to share her story because it is definitely one that needs to be heard, not just because of how the Lord met her as she walked through the diagnosis that her daughter um, got, but also I love just the realness of how she struggled with fear early on in her faith and how God dealt with that first to prepare her for what her daughter walked through and what she walked through as her mother. It's an incredible story. Here's Mackenzie. And before Mackenzie's story today, we want to remind you that we have a weekly newsletter that gives all of our ministry updates. Not only does it give you the podcast that's airing every Wednesday, but it will inform you when our live gatherings are, tell you more things about our Bible studies and other things that we offer. So make sure that you're subscribed, which you can simply click the link in our show notes below, or you can go to our website at storytellerslive.org. So make sure you're subscribed today. Here's Mackenzie. Um, Homewood Storytellers is starting off so strongly. I know that this is an amazing ministry and I'm honored to be a small part of it here today. And really I'm, I'm excited to finally have the opportunity to share a little bit about my story and how the Lord has carried me and my family through some really challenging circumstances the last several years. And like Sarah said, even just a few months ago, I would have said like, nope, absolutely not. I'm not doing this. I'm not ready. But the Lord has prepared me and showed me this. it's time. It's time. So let me tell you a little bit more about, about me. I grew up in a small town in North Alabama, a town called Arab. Some of you may have heard of it. And I grew up on a farm there and just really had this charmed childhood, playing outside on the farm all the time. And I was the oldest of three siblings. And I was raised in a church-going family, just a really long lineage of faith and generations of believers, and so that was really a blessing for sure. I went to Auburn for college, and that's where I met my husband, Brad, and where we fell in love, and we got married a couple years after graduation and came to Birmingham because really that was equidistance between both of our hometowns and 
more importantly, that's where we got jobs. <laughs> and so our parents were grateful for that. And um, my husband, he's from Mobile. So Mobile, Arab, Birmingham was a good central location. We started our family pretty quickly, and those babies came pretty quickly right on top of each other. Now Addison, she is 12, and she's in seventh grade here at the middle school. Bradley, he is our little middleman. He's 10, and Avery, the baby of the family, she's eight, and she's in third grade this year. When people ask me what I, what I do for a living and what I do other than being a wife and a mom, I usually say I'm an artist. I feel like that's the most all-encompassing thing. Like Sarah said, I'm just I'm a creative person, and I'm the most happy when I'm doing something creative. I do paint, and I have a little online, little retail, vintage uh, retail business that I really enjoy and is filling that creative outlet right now. Uh, my husband, he works for a large healthcare company here in Birmingham, and he builds a healthcare construction company, and he builds hospitals all over the country, travels a good bit. Like I mentioned, when we started our family, those babies came really quickly, and before we knew it, we had three under the age of four. Actually, um, Addison, our oldest, had just turned four two weeks before Avery was born, our youngest, and so a lot of y'all can relate. <laughs> it was a really intense time having all of those little ones at home, um, but it was, it was really the best, and I was so thankful that I got to stay home with them, and Brad, he was traveling a lot. You know, I just, I look back on that time and think, oh, like, what? Like, how did we, how did we survive? And, you know, it was just really, it was really intense. Um, me being at home, holding down the home front while Brad was traveling and these little people and people would always sometimes ask me, like, how are you, how are you doing it? You know, you seem to have it all together. And it really, it was all just a facade. And I would just say, oh, I'm fine. You're, we're fine. You know, I've got this. I'm fine. And I really prided myself in having control of all the things. And I really began a bad habit of pushing aside all of that stress and that anxiety of trying to have it all together for my family and for my husband and began this bad habit of just holding on tightly to control of all aspects of my family's life. And I began to be so anxiety-ridden and just exhausted, of course, taking care of these three kids all the time. It was exhausted, exhausting, and I was just weary. Because, of course, who wouldn't be trying to be God and manage and control all the things all the time? But more than just being anxious about just daily ins and outs, I began to be really consumed with this fear and worry about the what-ifs. Um, some of you may be able to relate, just the what-ifs of big what-ifs, big ca catastrophic what-ifs of what if Brad dies? What if one of my kids gets sick? What if we're in a terrible car crash? You know, just what if, what if, what if? And so my anxiety began to just deepen. And, but nobody knew, nobody knew, because I kept that that facade and that big smile on my face and nobody really knew how I was really struggling inside. I just was so con consumed with that idea of fear, I mean of uh, tragedy and um, of suffering and it was really tough and I think I can look back on that time and think even just the smallest things would send me into a tailspin. You know, a kid would get a runny nose or have a lump or a bump or a fever, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, sky's falling, and I go to Google, and, of course, 
Google and WebMD, they don't tell you anything good. They will tell you, you know, the worst every single time. But instead of inviting the Lord into that place in my life where that, that fear and that worry, anxiety was all building, I just held on to it tightly. And I was walking with the Lord during this time. I knew truth. I knew that the God that was my Savior, um, that he controlled everything. I knew I didn't, but I continued to live under this, you know, this illusion. I knew that God, he and he alone, he held everything together in his power, but I just continued to refuse to submit authority and control and surrender this worry to him. Week after week, I sat in a Bible study where my teaching leader regularly talked about suffering. And she often said, everyone is either going through something hard, some kind of suffering, is in, is like coming out of some kind of suffering, or they're about to go through that suffering. And she would say, not to waste your suffering. That is oftentimes during these trials that the Lord draws you into a deeper relationship with him. And there can be such blessing during that time. But I sat on that pew week after week <laughs> as I was dealing with, you know, all these things internally. And I, I just said, nope, 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 not me, God, not me. I'm good. I'm good. Um, I, even if that suffering can be good, I, I don't want any of it. No, thank you. I'm great. Well, in the fall, in the winter months of 2017, all of that anxiety and fear that I'd been shoving down and pushing aside, it finally caught up with me. And some of you may know that anxiety and depression, they're very closely linked. And they're often like different sides of the same coin. And so my anxiety, it tumbled into a deep clinical depression. And it was such a desperate time. It was all I could do to get out of bed in the morning and take my kids to school. And I was really just a warm body going through the motions. I cried all day long and I couldn't sleep well. I wasn't eating because I was so nauseous. And my sweet husband, Brad, some of y'all know him. He doesn't worry about a thing. <laughs> and I don't know if you can relate. Some of your husbands, I mean, the weight of the world can be on their shoulders and they can fall right asleep and sleep a solid eight hours. He really did not know what to do with me. I mean, he was at his wit's end. And I just couldn't snap out of it. You know, this strong farm girl, country girl, I just couldn't pull myself up by my bootstraps any longer and just move forward. And I was also really ashamed and really embarrassed. Here I was supposedly this God-fearing woman, but where was my faith? Where was my trust in the Lord? I could no longer handle all of these what-ifs on my own. And in the Lord in his kindness, when I was at my very lowest point, he met me there. And I finally decided, maybe, <laughs> maybe just maybe, I might lay down some of that worry and fear at the Lord's feet. And so I began pouring into the word like never before. I began memorizing scripture, and that scripture became my very life breath during this time. And as those anxious and fearful thoughts would pop in my mind, I began to refute those thoughts and fight back with truth, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And I was still so physically and mentally sick that sometimes it was just a moment-by-moment moment survival of just making it through the day. And I had this little blue spiral-bound little notebook 
that was tear stained and worn out and I carried it with me everywhere like a security blanket. It was in the car with me. It was in my purse with me. I carried it from room to room because I would have to just look back to it and remind myself of the truth that God was here with me in this place and that he was in control and I didn't have to be. That notebook, it was filled with verses like, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. And little did I know that the Lord, again, in his great kindness, he was refining me. He was working in that dark place in my life that I had allowed Satan to have such a strong hold on. And he was preparing me as I slowly surrendered my control and my fear. And he was drawing me into a deeper place of faith and trust. And he was hemming me in for what was to come in the very near future. On a Wednesday in early February, almost after eight weeks of waiting, I had to wait a really long time to see a doctor because there's a shortage of mental health professionals in our community, as you may know, there still is. And I sat on that psychiatrist sofa, and I can still remember it so vivid, vividly. It was velvet. <laughs> and um, I confessed to that doctor that I felt so guilty that I was here, that this is what had happened, that this is what I had in my mind allowed to happen, that I literally had everything that I could have ever wanted. I had the three kids that I had always dreamed of. I had the adoring husband. I had the nice house. We had financial security. Brad had a great job. Like I had it all. I literally had it all. And I told that doctor, but I can't even enjoy it because I'm so worried about the terrible tragedy, the terrible diagnosis that might happen. Well, two days after that doctor appointment, our youngest daughter, Avery, threw up one night. And as seasoned parents, we thought, uh, you know, here comes a stomach virus that's going to run through all three of the kids. So we kind of battened down the hatches and, you know, prepared for this long night of sickness with three kids. But nobody else got sick. And we just were like, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for sparing us. Well, a couple of days later, she threw up again, and we thought, well, you know, that's kind of weird. And again, nobody else got sick. And so this pattern continued for a couple of days, and she continued to throw, throw up a couple more times each day, and she would be totally fine after she threw up. So we had been talking to the pediatrician, and after about a week, he was like, yeah, this is, this is weird. So this is just weird. So we began monitoring everything she ate, everything she drank, what time she got up, to what time she went to the bed, and, you know, just really watching her like a hawk. And finally, our pediatrician and his great wisdom, after about two weeks of her being sick, he said, you know, before I refer you to another doctor, before we go into this any deeper, I really think we need to do an MRI of her brain. And of course, Brad and I were like, an MRI of her brain? Is this not some kind of gastrointestinal thing? Is this not some kind of, you know, allergy? But our pediatrician explained, and he didn't say too much, but he explained, we just need to investigate this kind of check off like the worst case scenario before I can refer her to another doctor. Well, I was a wreck to say the least. And as an expert worrier, I didn't need our pediatrician to tell me what they were looking for on that MRI that day. Dr. Google, he told me that. And it wasn't anything good, I can tell you. And we were just, Brad and I both, we were just so weary because, um, of 
course we've been caring for this child who's been sick and throwing up everywhere and just really anxious and um the night before her MRI I was in my bathroom at home taking a bath just trying to wash away some of that anxiety of the of the day and I was just praying and just crying out to the Lord you know like what is what's wrong with her you know what does this mean what's going to happen is she really sick like Lord please just you know just show us what to do what's the next step and like I said, I was just a mess. Like, you know, what are they going to find on this MRI tomorrow? And in the moment, uh, in that bathroom, in that moment, I heard the Lord say in a quiet, firm voice. I've never heard the voice of God since, and I'd never heard it before this moment. But that night, the Lord spoke to me in an audible voice, and he said, what are you so scared of? And I sat there in my bath a minute, and I really thought about it, really looked in those deep recesses of my mind and my heart. And I replied, I'm scared of her dying. And then in the most gentle voice, I heard the Lord say, well, then she would be with me. And in that moment, through my sobs, I had so much clarity. I mean, what more could I want for my daughter or any of my children than to be in the arms of Jesus? And just a tremendous sense of peace washed over me in that moment. That even if the worst case scenario or diagnosis actually came to fruition, it would be okay. And the Lord really shifted my perspective in that moment from one of an earthly perspective of being in this world, you know, this world full of sin and brokenness and that's temporary and fleeting to one of eternal hope with him, an eternal hope and an eternal home in heaven. And it was such a sweet reminder that this is all, this is all just temporary. Well, the next morning, we took Avery to her MRI at Children's Hospital here in town. And it would be a long procedure on a Friday. And the doctor told us not to expect any kind of results to hear anything until Monday. So we kind of, Settled in, stilled ourselves for a long waiting game. This would be a long procedure and um, that she was put to sleep for because you have to be really still during MRI. And I don't know if you all know many three-year-olds that can be really still <laughs> through an hour-long MRI. But in the middle of that MRI, an anesthesiologist and a team of nurses came into the room with very grim and serious faces. And they told us that Avery had a large tumor in her brain at the back of her brain, at the base of her brain, just below the, the start of her neck, and that it was serious. And in that moment, our life changed forever. But God, he had already been working, and he had already put a support team and put a system in place for us. By God's mercy, our family was actually in town uh, celebrating our oldest daughter's birthday. So we had childcare in place for our oldest two kids, and it just so happened that a renowned, renowned in North America pediatric neurosurgeon was on call that weekend. The perfect surgeon for Avery, just 10 minutes from our home, along with a whole host of medical professionals that were literally perfect for her type of disease and just exactly what she needed when she needed it. So less than 24 hours after her MRI that Friday morning, Avery was having emergency brain surgery to remove a cancerous tumor. 
that was blocking the flow of spinal fluid from her brain down her spine, and that's what was making her throw up. And of course, word travels fast, and so many, so many of you in this room rallied around us on that Saturday morning in that hospital waiting room during that six-hour surgery. And it was a really, it was a sweet time. Of course, I was a wreck, <laughs> but I can't remember just how full that room was and how loved that we felt during that day. Miraculously, and I do say miraculously, the surgeon was able to remove all of the tumor without complications. And Avery not only survived that surgery, but she walked away without any remnants of the tumor in her brain. And we rejoiced. The following days with Avery in the hospital as she recovered from surgery were the hardest days. It was really intense trying to take care of a preschooler that had just had brain surgery <laughs> in a small hotel, or it felt like a little hotel room, but in a um, hospital room. But we saw the Lord move and work in countless ways as he continued to heal and strengthen Avery and provide not only for Avery, but for Brad and I. The world might call them coincidences, but we know it was the Lord and he was at work. And in the midst of our darkest hour of uncertainty and fear, the Lord, he sustained us day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. And all that scripture that I had spent months of memorizing during my, what we can lovingly call now, my Great Depression, all of that scripture that I had memorized was written in my heart as I sat and took care of Avery while she laid in that hospital bed with all of the tubes and cords and beeping and the monitors when I couldn't open my Bible. I had that scripture on a repetitive loop in my mind, just exactly what I needed it, needed when I needed it. You will be kept in perfect peace, him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts you. And so even through our grief and our fear and uncertainty, the Lord sustained us with his righteous right hand. And he protected Avery as she charmed and dazzled the doctors with her bravery and her fierce determination. And he continued to do it day after day and gave us that mercy that we needed to face each challenge of each day. Eight days after her brain surgery, Avery was discharged from the hospital on a really, really warm February day. And since we had been in the hospital, we hadn't been out of the hospital in eight days. So it was shocking to go from a winter day to, you know, how the weather can be around here. It's in the 70s. And I just marveled at what a beautiful day it was and how warm it was. And some of the trees had even started to bloom and bud. And it was just so warm. And as we pulled up to our house with this fragile little girl, the Lord brought this verse to mind. See, I'm doing a new thing, how it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland, Isaiah 43:19. It would be a long road ahead, but the Lord had already worked so many miracles in our baby girl. She had survived this delicate surgery, but she not only survived it, but she came through without any further challenges mentally or physically. I remember, too, was reminded in that moment, had this realization that in that moment, he was doing a new thing. All those months of my anxiety and depression that I was 
literally living my worst fear that I had just confessed two weeks before to that psychiatrist on that sofa, that I was living my nightmare, that he had been with me and that it was okay and that we were okay because he was with us. He really was doing a new thing in my life and he was making a way in the wilderness. The weeks after Avery's surgery, I remember as being a really, really sweet time in our home with our family. The Lord was so near, and the Holy Spirit comforted and provided and strengthened us day by day. Our church family and the big C church, I like to say, just ministered to us in such a powerful way, and it was such a sweet example for our children to see, too. We didn't have to cook meals for months, <laughs> but we were just so loved on and so taken care of, and I really would have these moments as I would walk around the house and have those moments where I would remember, like, I have a child with cancer. Avery has cancer, and I would just have these, I'd just have this praise that would just well up inside me as I'm, you know, my fears have come to life and just be like, but I'm okay, and the Lord is with me, and I would just be so thankful, just so thankful for everything that the Lord had done. We also continued to bear witness to the Lord's miracles um, that he worked through Avery. A week and a half after her diagnosis, Avery actually turned four. And at four, year old, four years old, Avery became the youngest patient at UAB to receive radiation without sedation, meaning she didn't have to be put to sleep every day for her radiation treatments like most young children, even even some adults have to have to do. And so during her, um, during a radiation treatment, I don't know if y'all are familiar, you have to be perfectly still. You cannot move a muscle as the radiation is administered. And you have to be perfectly still for 15 to 30 minutes every single day, strapped to a metal gurney in a room alone. No parents, no nurses, because this radiation is not only um, life-saving, it's also lethal. Um, but our determined little child, she said, no, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it myself. And the Lord empowered Avery to lay perfectly still on that gurney every day. And this allowed her to have a really normal life without having to be put to sleep every single day to get this radiation and allowed our family to have a really normal life too during her treatments. One day during one of these treatments, Brad and I, we stood outside this concrete room and there's a bay of TV monitors and computers and I mean, it looks like a spaceship. And as we stood there with the radiation therapists, as I was watching the monitor and watching Avery lay on that metal gurney and her long dark curls hanging off the back of that, of that metal table, um, the Lord gave me this vision. Nobody else saw it, just, just for me. And there were these three angelic ethereal beings in the room with Avery, two on either side of her and one outstretched laying over her cheek to cheek in that room and it was such a comfort to me in that moment you know just what I needed when I needed it and it was a reminder too that the Lord was in control and he had this he was taking care of Avery and he was the source of Avery's fierce bravery and determination finally in June of 2018 
we received the news that we had prayed for. And so many of you had prayed for along with us that she was cancer-free. And in four months, our world had been totally turned upside down, but we finally had that news that we had prayed for. In our family, we moved forward in this new post-cancer normalcy, and Avery remained cancer-free for a year and a half, that is, until July of 2019. Avery, once again, began having some really strange symptoms, and this time it was in her legs. And at first we noticed she was having trouble running, and we just thought, oh, she's, you know, pulled a muscle, strained something, you know, she's an active kid outside playing. But it got worse, and then she had trouble touching her toes and sitting down, and, you know, something was not right. And a spinal MRI revealed a large hot dog-sized shaped tumor at the base of her spine, and it was pressing on a large ball of nerves at the base of her spine, and it was really serious. And of course, we were devastated and so scared. And we knew that this diagnosis the second time around had much more serious implications, especially for her long-term prognosis. And it was no less horrible to hear your child has cancer the second time around. It wasn't easier, but we knew there was one thing for sure in the midst of our sadness, that the Lord would be with us again, and he would give us what we needed. And again, the Lord, he carried us day by day, moment by moment, and he strengthened and protected Avery. And again, Avery proved to me determined and strong. And again, Avery's surgeon was on call and removed that spinal tumor in an emergency surgery entirely and without complications. And three days after her surgery, she walked out of Children's Hospital without so much as a limp after this tumor was pressing and entangled into this very delicate ball of nerves that controls all the things. And again, she laid perfectly still during um, six weeks of radiation treatment, and she actually started kindergarten and radiation on the same day. She never missed a day of kindergarten, and she didn't miss a day of radiation. But because she didn't have to have that anesthesia every day, she was able to go to school every day like a normal kindergartner and then get her laser medicine in the afternoon. And it was such a blessing, again, to be able to function as a normal family and a blessing for our older children to have such normalcy in the midst of such terrible circumstances. In October of 2019, three months after the spinal tumor was discovered, Avery was once again declared cancer-free. And she is still cancer-free till this day. This coming October, next month, will mark three years cancer-free. And Avery is a normal, healthy, eight-year-old third grader, and you would never know that she has survived both a brain tumor and a spinal tumor at her young age. She can dance and jump and sass her mama with the best of them. <laughs> she loves to sing and play basketball and all without any deficits. And the only visible signs now of um, her, her cancer are some thin, some thin scars on her back and on her neck. And we are, we are so thankful. We're thankful for this gift of time that we've had with Avery and being together 
as an entire family because we know that in one moment, one test result, it can all, it can all change. And so we have a much different perspective now on our time with our family. Family time means something completely different. And uh, we, of course, long for the days when we're no longer a part of this earth, but that we're in um, a place and in heaven where there is no suffering, there's no cancer, there's no depression or anxiety. Cancer and its after- aftermath are still very much a part of our, our lives. Every four months, Avery undergoes a three and a half MRI of both her brain and her spine to check for disease. And she will c- continue to do so for many years to come. And I'll be honest with you, there are good days where I hardly ever think about it, and there are some really bad days. There are days when the fear and the worry and the what-ifs rise up in me and literally take my breath away. And when I'm tempted to once again take control and hold on to that worry and fear, the Holy Spirit prompts me to stop and remember, to remember all that the Lord has done, all the miracles that I've had the privilege to witness, all the moments when the Lord has revealed his character and his goodness to me, And my trust in him has deepened and my relationship has deepened with him in such a sweet way. We do serve such a good, good God. And I want you to understand that I say that we serve a good God, not because he healed Avery, but because his promises are true and trustworthy, that he surely, he will never leave you and he will never forsake you, no matter what trial or suffering lies ahead. That even when your worst fears become a reality, he will provide the mercy that you need to face each day, each struggle, because his mercies are new each and every morning, and his faithfulness is so great to us. So I hope that you feel encouraged after hearing my story today. I appreciate y'all coming to listen today, and I'm really thankful to have shared this time with you. Katie, as you mentioned in the intro, there are so many layers and so many pieces to Mackenzie's story. But the very first thing that I connected with that she said was that she prided herself on having it all together. (laughs) And we joked around here, you know, I don't really struggle with perfectionism, but I will be the first to admit that I struggle with control. And just in in some of the communities that we live in, the pressure to have it all Mm -hmm. together and to have that mask on of everything's great. Everything's perfect. My kids <laughs> yes. are perfect. I'm, and then behind to really be experiencing the anxiety and letting Satan into, into your thoughts. Yeah. And you know, I think as, as even a believer to admit that we're struggling with anxiety, mm-hmm. that we're struggling with fear, that we're struggling with depression, you feel like you shouldn't because you know the truth and you yeah, know the word right. and yes. you should not be struggling. And so, so often it becomes this issue of shame. Yeah. You know, Mackenzie says through part of her story that she felt so guilty mm-hmm. that she had allowed this to happen. And I have yeah. allowed in quotes mm-hmm. because we all know that's not the truth. We know that's the enemy. But so easily we get upside down in our thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the last thing that, that Satan wants us to do in those moments is go to God's word. I think so often we isolate ourselves in those moments. And instead of like reaching out to God, we're embarrassed because we're like, well, I don't have the faith to even trust him. Why should I even go to his word? And, you know, one of the things that just really encouraged me is the power 
of scripture, of how she spoke about, I just began taking every thought captive to Christ. And then, you know, how she walked through her her daughter's diagnosis and the surgeries that she went through and how God honored what she did, you know, early on in those moments when she was fearful, how he's still to this day. I mean, she says at the end, she has ups and downs, but when the fear comes and those what ifs come and they start to take her breath away, she stops and she remembers that he's good. And she remembers that scripture, you know, that's been in her heart. It really was convicting to me to remember how powerful God's word is. You know, it, just this morning, a friend texted me that's going through something hard. And she was like, I'm just afraid. Will you pray? She's like, this morning, my mind is out of control. And I said, absolutely. And I prayed for her on the spot. Uh, but there's this song. I feel like for the past few episodes, we've, we've been talking yeah, about yes, how music is so important. But it is because it's scripture mm-hmm. set to song. For me, that's so much easier to remember. And it's a song by Melissa Helzer called Sound Mind. And she talks about... God replacing her spirit of fear with a sound mind. And it's something I've had to listen to over and over. And I sent that this morning to this friend. And I was like, I keep this on repeat on my hard days. I keep this on repeat that he did not give us a spirit of fear. Well, and as a culture, as a society, we've got to move towards not having that stigma against mental health mm-hmm. and, and not saying, oh, snap out of it. Yeah. Oh, pray harder. Right. Truly, when right. there is a clinical depression issue, you need to address that. And and just like you're saying, she she felt bad as a believer because I, th- I think we do. The enemy tells us you shouldn't, you shouldn't feel, feel that way. way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I appreciated her kind of shining light on that topic. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things, too, that, that it reminded me of is years ago, I did a study called Idol Addiction. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions, yes, Julie Sparkman, one of the questions that she had asked in that was these thoughts that we have in our mind to ask yourself, is that 100% true? And if it's not 100% true, don't waste your time thinking about the what ifs. What if this happens? Mm -hmm. I am so guilty of the what ifs, not only with my children now, but also my mother (laughs) of what the future looks like. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know what the future looks like. So I don't need to even let my mind go there. God is going to give me enough faith in my present reality. I've said that. I mean, that's like my mantra. God's going to give me (laughs) enough faith in my present reality, not my imagination. And I think that McKenzie's story was just a testimony to that. But obviously, we have so much more to talk about right. with Mackenzie's story. You know, we have started a new series on Patreon called Continue the Conversation. And Lindy and Robin and myself are going to actually take Mackenzie's story and we are going to continue the conversation on Patreon. We're going to talk about our struggles, you know, with mm-hmm. our children and point, you know, letting them go into God's hands. And then we're also going to talk about Avery's diagnosis and how Mackenzie walked through that, how the Lord showed up in so many incredible ways. And Robin's going to share with us a a little bit more of her personal life of how she's walked through a diagnosis with her daughter as well. So if you're not a member of Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash STL community. You can join for as little as $5 a month. And guys, that money just goes straight into our ministry to help us share stories of hope in Jesus to um, others around the world. Also, I'm excited to say that this month we're doing a special giveaway, and if you join Patreon, you get our new Bible study, Discovering God and Stories of Freedom, and you also get a Discover Your Story journal as well. You really don't want to miss this opportunity to join Patreon. It's just a great way to get a lot of bonus content. This offer ends October 31st, so be sure that you join before the month's end. Thank you so much for listening. For those of you on Patreon, thank you for joining us on Continuing the Conversation. We hope you have a great week, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.